Welcome back to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. This is episode 11, Work It and Keep It. And I'm really excited about this episode. In just three verses of Genesis chapter 2, we're really going to begin to see some powerful themes that are going to show themselves throughout the rest of the biblical story in a way that I think you will find both surprising as well as um, exciting. And we're going to look at at the, the role that God gives to Adam as a human being, but then also dive into a little bit closer about what it means for Adam and then later for the nation of Israel and then for Jesus and then later even for the church to be described as priests. And this is such a powerful image. It's something that is tucked away. Again, you can almost miss it if you're not sure what you're looking for, but I will do my best to lead you through a few passages through the rest of the Old Testament, some of the New, so that we can understand a little bit about what it is that we have been called to do and to be as human beings made in the image of God. So I'm so excited for this episode, and I'm glad that you're joining me. Let's just jump right in. I'd like to begin, as has been sort of our pattern, to simply read the passage for you from Genesis, and then we can make some observations and talk about it. So for this particular podcast, we're only going to look at three verses, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and here's what it says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now this is all the passage that we're going to look at, and and based upon the title, as you can see, I've just pulled that right from verse 15, um, that the Lord God put the man, took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And this is really what I want to spend our time um, this episode talking about. Just what does that mean to work it and to keep it? And this is where things get really, really fun. And so I'm I'm excited for this particular podcast. But the, the two terms, to work it and to keep it, if you remember from our episode number 10, where we looked at the fact that the four rivers, which is the passage that appears right before Genesis 2.15, these four rivers flowing out of the garden in four different directions had provided a water source necessary to simply expand and to grow the garden and thereby grow this special sanctuary place with God to the ends of the earth. And the water source to do that is already in place. And so here a command is given to Adam to work the ground and to keep it. And so you have kind of two perspectives of what Adam is supposed to do, first of all, as a gardener in some sense, but as a human being who lives in a perfect place with God in a garden, he is meant to expand this place and to grow it. And that's ultimately what the word work is referring to, at least on a basic level. It simply means to cultivate what is there. Um, to enrich it, to make it better, to cause it to flourish, to aid this creation, mainly in the garden, but to aid this creation in expanding, growing, and blossoming with the potential that God placed in it. 
um, sometimes we have the idea that this Eden is kind of like heaven and it's this this perfect place. Well, it's not described that way anyways in Genesis chapter 2, but it's rather that everything that is there, the potential for things to flourish and to grow is what was placed in that garden. But a big part about what it means to be made in the image of God is that we now are small representations of who God is, and he puts us in a place where we get to now act out that role as his image bearers, acting in a way that he would act if he were placed in such a garden. And of course, we'll see in chapter 3 that that the Lord God himself is in that garden. But to put man there means that one of man's main jobs is to cause this place to flourish, to grow, to expand, um, to make it beautiful, and to cause it to flourish. But then you also have this word, keep. And this is where this is a really helpful way to, to think about what man's role is in the garden because keep simply means to preserve or to guard. And so you have this idea of expanding and making it better and causing to flourish and growing and enlarging the space that is the garden so that it expands and and eventually covers the face of the whole earth. But at the exact same time, you need to guard and preserve what is already in place within the garden, a place of safety and rest and trust, and relationship, and on and on. And so you you have these two main tasks, and they're kind of in tension with one another. You you have this idea of work the ground to cultivate it, to, to look forward, to look outward, expansion. But you also have this idea of keep, preserve what you already have. So you expand and make better what is already here, and then also to maintain and to guard what's worth keeping. You don't have to read too far in the book of Genesis. In fact, I'll spoil it for you, but you read to, to chapter 3, and we find actually a creature entering into the garden who creates nothing but trouble. And so part of the idea is that there are things that are meant to be guarded and protected in this garden space, yes, it is caused to grow and and we're encouraged to expand it and have it flourish and thrive and spread over the face of the earth, but we can't leave behind the very things that make this garden worth expanding, if that makes any sense. And so a way to think about this is don't remain idle in what can progress, but don't progress so quickly that you lose what makes what you have worth having. And I just, I can't help in, in the current state that we're in, in our culture, simply as a, as a general way of thinking about this, sometimes the way our current in, in America in the 21st century, our current way of, of, of political outlooks, sometimes, and, and in some sense, gains a little bit of traction and understanding by looking closely at Genesis 2.15. Not every government or every nation operates in the same way that America's operates, but we have in subtle ways a a, a mainly a a two-party system, one who seems to place its emphasis a bit stronger on the expansion and the advancement and trying new things 
and wanting to to grow and expand in in particular directions with the culture with the people with the place with with the way we do things and they tend to to want to throw off a few of the traditions or the older ways of looking at things or of defining things in the name of progress well then you you actually have a, a another side of this political grouping that is very much more interested in the keeping and the guarding and the preserving of what has always been the case. And so it's looking um, very much outside and saying, well, what's out there could harm what's in here. And so let's not allow any of those changes to, to come in and to disrupt what we already have. And so I think it's helpful personally to recognize that the way Genesis 2.15 explains the role of humanity, the expansion and the growth and the advancement of culture and of place and of the way things work is something that is very, very central to who we are as human beings made in the image of God. Expansion, change, growth, flourishing, it's all good, but it's only good if you make certain that what you are expanding is something worth expanding. And sometimes the temptation is to expand what we think we need by throwing off things that are, we believe, hindrances to this. And so when I look at Genesis 2.15, I see the call of a human being made in the image of God as a Christian myself, one who believes it's my role and my calling to constantly keep in tension these two components, expand, cause to flourish, to grow, to make better, to bring life to things, while at the exact same time, preserve, keep, guard, and uphold the very foundations of what makes the expansion and the cultivation of the world in which I live worth cultivating and expanding. It's a, it's a tension. Every person has to embrace the tension. There's a tension. Sometimes it feels like we could expand quicker. We could cultivate better. We could cause to flourish more fully if we threw off some of the constraints that we feel are outdated or outmoded or don't have a place any longer. But there's a flip side, and that is to think that if we simply maintain what we've always had, what we've always done, and focus more on preserving and guarding, we don't actually cause anything to grow or anything to flourish. And so as I stand giving this podcast and and thinking this way for months and months, I see it as this fundamental place of tension, always looking for outward expansion and cultivation, but always guarding very closely what it is about the relationship with God that he's called us to have, about what it means to know him and to walk with him that is absolutely central to keep and to maintain and to guard and to preserve so as to allow that outward expansion to be something worth expanding. And so this at root is ultimately what it means to work the ground and to keep it at a human being level, at a humanity level. That's not all that it means, and I'm hoping to point out a few of these things as we go along, but at the beginning, 
to be a human being made in the image of God and to be placed in God's perfect sanctuary into his perfect garden is to cause this place to flourish and is to cause it to expand, but not at the exclusion or at the expense rather of the very things in the garden that make what you have there worth expanding. In the garden, we have the presence of God. We have the rest of God with his people. We have a place where food is provided and needs are met. Beauty is there. None of those things can be left behind in the name of outward expansion. And yet outward expansion cannot be left behind in the name of preserving what we already have. Now, if the purpose of Genesis chapter 2 was only to describe what it means for humanity made in the image of God to know his role and her role and what we are supposed to do, then we could leave it at that. But if you remember when we looked at episode number 8, Introducing the Lord, and I talked a little bit about understanding that the generations of the heavens and the earth and the generations of Adam and the generations of Noah and Noah's sons and the generations of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the biblical story has in mind a focus point of the people of God and the nation that God chose from Abraham to be the means through which he was going to restore the world back to the way it was originally created. And so the way Genesis 1, 2, 3, and on and on is told is done so with an eye to that audience, to that type of, of a group of people and the situation in which they find themselves through their time as a nation in and out of exile and being bothered by other nations and learning what it means to rule well and to worship God well as a people. And so it's with that in mind that we bring up actually another layer of meaning behind this work it and keep it. And that's not just the idea of human beings, but it is that, but it is also that of priests um, when you read the Old Testament story, it's very fascinating, particularly when you get into Leviticus and Numbers. I know, probably not some of the most riveting reading for the majority of you. I'm saddened by that, and I hope to make you want to go back and read those books again through some of the episodes that we'll have off in the future sometime when we get to those books. But in books like Leviticus, um, some in Exodus, but, but actually quite a bit in Numbers and even in First Chronicles, you get lots of references to these two verbs, work it and keep it, when describing the role of the priests in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. Let me just give you a few examples. In Numbers chapter 3, verses 6 through 8, it says this, Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron, the priest, that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. Now, I tried to emphasize the, the keep guard and guard and minister. It's those words. Those are the terms, work it and keep it. There's work that is actually done in the tabernacle and in the temple. 
And the Lord God assigns priests, ultimately from the tribe of Levi, and Levi was simply one of Jacob's 12 sons, whom God redeems from Egypt along with the whole rest of the Israelite people, and then appoints Levi, the tribe of Levi and his descendants, to be the priests who serve as his servants in the tabernacle, in the temple, keeping up the worship and the sacred space and place that the Lord God provides for the people where he will choose to dwell among them and be with them. Um, A few chapters later in Numbers 8, we're told that the priests will minister to their brothers in the tent of meeting by keeping guard. Now, through the books of Leviticus, some of the reasons why it gets tough and people have a hard time wading through it is because there's lots of sections on sacrifices. There are a lot of sections on clean and unclean animals that could be brought or not brought as sacrifices. There are moments in one's life where one is considered to be clean or unclean. And a lot of what the priest's role was, was to keep out of the temple, out of the tabernacle, anything that was considered to be unclean. Why? Because this is a sacred space. It's a space that needs to be preserved, guarded, and kept as it actually is, meant to be a place to worship God. And yet, because of the fall, which I know I keep alluding to, and we will get there in Genesis chapter 3, but because of the fall, mankind was driven out of the garden. They were sent away from the presence of the Lord. In order to come back into the presence of the Lord, many, many rituals, sacrifices, cleansing rituals, washings, time of of being set aside and not being allowed to enter under certain conditions, certain periods of one's life after certain events take place and so on. But the priest's role was to guard that sacred space and only allow things to enter that were clean, that were pure, that were able to occupy that sacred space with the Lord God. And in 10 chapters after this, in Numbers 18, it says, you shall keep guard over the sanctuary and over the altar that there never may never again be wrath on the people of Israel. Behold, I've taken your brothers, the Levites, from among the people of Israel. They are a gift to you, given to the Lord to do the service of the tent of meeting. And so Israel has priests in her midst who serve as representatives from God to the people, but also as representatives of the people back to God. And that's what a priest ultimately does. That's what a priest ultimately is. And for you and I to grasp fully the function of what it means to be a human being made in the image of God, it not only involves the spreading and cultivation and yet preserving of culture and of the world in which we live, but it is ultimately related to bringing people into the presence of God. Now, as I said in the introduction, this is going to clarify things a ton for us when we begin to understand why temples are erected in the first place where they happen to be erected, what it means for Jesus to claim to be the temple, and what in the world Paul means in 1 Corinthians when he says that the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He will also go on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, and then Peter will add in 1 Peter chapter 2, many, many powerful images to describe the role of Christians in the world today. 
But before we get too far in that direction, let me read just a couple other passages for you and then we'll make a few comments about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. First Chronicles 23, it simply says the priests were to keep charge of the tent of meeting and the sanctuary to attend to the sons of Aaron, their brothers, for the service of the house of the Lord. And then in Ezekiel 44, the Lord promises again to appoint the Levites to keep charge of the temple and to do all its service and all that is to be done in it. And so a priest's role was multifaceted, and I'll jump straight to the end and sum it up for you by simply saying one of the priest's primary roles and inherent in a lot of the passages that I just read to you, plus a few others when Solomon first builds the temple in 1 Kings 8. In chapter 9, these same two ideas of serve and keep work and keep minister before the Lord and keep charge or keep guard over the temple is stated in the context of the commandments of the Lord. One of the roles of the priests, unfortunately, um, the king didn't do this very well, but the priest had to come in in order to do this, and later on the prophets would, but would to be to remind the people of the words of the Lord, what he has said that they are supposed to do and to be. And the people, as is still the case today, tend to move on beyond those words and, and, and tend to ignore them. And so the priest's job was to guard them, guard them, protect them, make sure that the people knew what the Lord expected of them, what he wanted from them. And so it's not coincidental that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, immediately after we're told that the man was put in the garden to work it and keep it, we get the very first commandment of the Lord to show up in the Bible. And it is this, the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, if we connect that commandment in the, the paragraph that it's actually given in and then connect that to the rest of the chapter, I think we can make a few key observations. And the first one is this. The man is put in the garden to work it and keep it, cultivate it and preserve it, cause it to flourish and to maintain it expand it, and guard it. He's commanded to do all of these things. The million-dollar question is, how is he supposed to know how far and how fast and how rapidly and how aggressively to expand and cause to flourish and work, and yet which things are crucial for him to keep, preserve, and guard? How will he know whether his efforts are good or not? How will he know whether he is mimicking the Lord God in the way that he expands and maintains and preserves and causes to flourish the ground in which he lives? That's a fantastic question. And right here, the word commandment is given, I think, very specifically because it's telling us that the way this is going to be done is going to have something to do with this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And again, as we talked about in a previous episode, we don't know yet a lot about what evil is or outside of, of what we know about the concept of good, which I think gives us a clue. But there's going to be something very, very connected to the Lord God himself 
telling the man, you may not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there's something about partaking of a tree that the Lord God says not to take from, which is in relationship somehow to this idea of knowing good and evil. And there's a lot of discussion about what in the world this means. And Genesis 3, huh, big surprise, right? Genesis 3 will dive straight at the heart of what the knowledge of good and evil actually is, what it actually means. But for now, I just want you to realize that it is closely connected to mankind's role as a cultivator and as a maintainer, but also mankind's role as a priest and ultimately Israel's own priests, Jesus as a high priest, and then the church and the Christians in it who are repeatedly referred to in the New Testament as priests, those who, because of their relationship and close proximity to Jesus, and because of the indwelling Holy Spirit that resides within Christians, they also are called to be those who do the work of the ministry. They are called to preserve and to guard the faith that was once handed down for the saints. They are called to be the go-betweens between God and the world, in the same way that Jesus was the go-between between God and the world, in the same way that Israel was called to be the go-between between themselves and or between God and the other nations, and yet along the way found out that they themselves needed a go-between between them and God. It's always a multi-layered, multi-level meaning that's going on here. But for us, it's important to connect it, our role as cultivators, our role as expanders, and, and those who cause things in the creation to flourish, as well as to maintain and to guard our role here, is intimately connected with what we are going to do as image bearers of the Lord God, what our relationship to what he says is good and what he says is evil is going to directly affect the way we are able to carry out this role. Humanity's role as priests might be a brand new concept to you, and that's okay. But it's one that I felt could not be emphasized strongly enough. If you want to understand the way that the Bible is communicating reality to us all, and if you want to understand what your role as a human being made in the image of God is, we have to begin to see it in close connection with the role of a priest. Jesus coming and being our great high priest does not mean he bypasses what it ultimately means to be a human being. In fact, he brings the two together better and more perfectly than anyone ever has or anyone ever will. But from Genesis 1.26, where mankind was given the commission to rule, we were in fact given a position as kings to rule as kings. And yet in Genesis 2, when those same verbs in describing what that rule should look like, working the ground and keeping it, it connects for the first time for you and for me what it also means to be a priest. 
And throughout the Old Testament, if you read closely, and even when you come to the New Testament, you will find that oftentimes the views of the kings of Israel and the views of Israel's priests are actually at odds with one another. And it's only in Jesus Christ where we actually find the two coming together in perfect harmony. And that's intentional. It's meant for you and me to pay close attention as well to recognize that the promise of, of, a, of a king who's going to come, who's also going to serve as a priest, is ultimately what the entire world needs. And so before we even get out of the garden, we've got this perfect picture of a king and of a priest surrounding himself with the commandments of the Lord God so that he can cause what is there to flourish, but also maintain, preserve, and guard that very special sanctuary of place with the Lord. And so I'm thankful that you're still tuning in. Next week will sort of be part two to this very topic, and I think that it will help enrich your understanding even more of some parts of the Old Testament that may have confused you in the past. So until next time, have a great week.